The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, it's Matt Michaels here on The DeFalco Files with the creator of FSW, the future stars of wrestling here in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFalco. Well, Joe, we were just kind of talking. Super Bowl did not go very good for you this week did it well it probably was worse for me than normal because i really like the kansas city chiefs a lot i love mahomes i believe he's going to go down as the greatest quarterback of all time but i believe that philly had a much better defense and i think their offense was clicking on all cylinders so i had to bet philly i bet it over and the only thing I bet straight, though, was Philly minus one, figuring, eh, they're going to they win the game. You know, I've seen the last couple of years with Mahomes and didn't get it done the last couple. And right. it was like, I think it was Philadelphia's year this year. And it looked good for a long time. And I knew I was in big trouble when they went up 24-21. Uh, well, actually, they are up 24-14. Uh, KC came back and scored the touchdown, made it 24-21. And Philadelphia drove down to whatever, the eight-yard line or something. Then they had to settle for the field goal. And it was like, oh, boy, here we go. It's 27-21, which ruined everything for me because I didn't bet just Philly minus one. I figured I'm going to take the shot. You know, I bet a minus two and a half so they can win by three. I bet them to minus four. I bet a minus six, you know, thinking if they're going to win, they have a good chance to win big. And when they kicked that field goal instead of the touchdown, it would have been up 31-21. I would have been great. If they would have been up by three, I would have still been strong. If they went down and kicked the field goal, Kansas City, I'd be up by seven. I'd still have all my bets in. And then they gave up the touchdown, and then they gave up another one. And they played very conservatively in the second half. You know, for a team that goes for it, they didn't care. They were on the 46-yard line, and it was like fourth and five, and they're going. And then all of a sudden, when they got into the second half, you know, it was three and out because they, they, they weren't putting the pressure. And, you know, I saw like Hurts three times kind of roll out and just run out of bounds because they didn't really have anything other than, hey, run this one. And, you know, it was kind of disappointing because I, I still think they were the better team that day. But the Chiefs found a way, you know, Andy Reid, you know, with him waddling all over the sidelines and everything. And, and Patrick Mahomes, you give them, you can't give them multiple opportunities right. to beat you. Right. And that's why he's going to go down as probably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time is because his body of work will probably end up being, you know, in that range of maybe four or five Super Bowl wins if that team can stay as a team competitive. Well, they, they will. I thought getting rid of Tyreek Hill was going to be big, and the guy ended up leading the league in yards. But they yeah. brought in a couple other guys. It's amazing that guy Tony from the Giants that they got for like a sixth-round pick in the middle of the year. Yeah. Like, really? New York Giants? 
who have trouble with playmakers, you couldn't figure out something for this guy to do? It's like the minute he went to Kansas City, he became an integral part. Yep. So, you know, you, you had a guy there who was on a rookie contract not making a lot of money, so you released him. He had been hurt, and then he came back, and it was like you didn't even give the guy an opportunity. So, you know, five, five, eight, five in a row on the AFC Championship game, three Super Bowls, and uh, two Super Bowl wins. And I believe that's all in the five years that he started because the first year he sat behind Alex Smith. So he's five for five in the championship games, which is similar to Donovan McNabb with Philadelphia, but Donovan got to one Super Bowl and didn't win. You know, this guy's already been to three. Yep. And they could have got in last year. They lost in overtime. Right. And he's, you know, potentially got – at least five more straight years of quality, you know, as long as he stays healthy. Well, and, uh, and also as long as Andy Reid's there, you know, because he has a very innovative offense and he's very yep. creative. And it's amazing. You know, I think Mahomes, the first two or three years, was more accurate than he is now, but it's amazing how many open guys there are even if it's for a three-yard pass but they could take a three-yard pass and go 30 yards and and that's the difference so yep uh it goes to show what uh coaching can do as well um so for fsw this past friday you had an ice age how cold was it at the fsw arena and uh Boy, what what did you think of the uh, factions uh, celebration? Well, I'll be honest with you, I was freezing. You know, the wife's like, "Aren't you taking a coat?" I'm like, "Nah, I'm gonna be fine." And then it was like, you know, go outside. I'm like, "Holy shit, it is fucking cold out here." What What the fuck? It was like 60 degrees during the day, and I like dropped to like 35 or something. (laughs) So, you know, overall, it was an extremely strong show. You know. And that's what makes me proud. The fact of the matter is that our new No Limits champion wasn't there. His his number one contender, Jacob Boston Young, wasn't there. Cutthroat Cody wasn't there. Remy Marcel wasn't there. And there was so many talented guys that weren't there. And it's yeah. it, it it's amazing, like, you know, we're working on March 4th already. And it's like, you know, Sharp let me know he was available. And it's almost like, hey, we might, we may have to leave you off that show because we got Limelight already. Uh, you know, Ice is going to be there. He will be defending. We'll announce that next week. Uh, the faction will be there as tag champs. So, and uh, also, what do we got? The No Limits champion. Will be there. The Nevada State champion could be there, right? And it's it's just like a who's who. It, it, it's almost like the thing that I hate the most the uh, the brand, you know, Raw and SmackDown. It's like, hey, uh, we'll use you on the next show. You stay home for this one, just because we have so much talent, and, and that that is you know insanity in me. You know, the Wolves, Zaddies, my guy Tito and Che, the Papacitos. I mean, uh, you know, the Wolf Zaddies, very impressive. So, you know, new talent, talent that we used to use. 
I was on the phone with uh, Johnny Mecca today, talking, talking, making moves. Uh, you know, obviously him and Chris Bay. Uh, he sent over the promo for the match. Tremendous. We're nice. gonna get that up real soon. I'll nice. tell you what, man. Uh, John Morrison. He's training for the uh, the boxing match he's got. And, wow. And I was saying, I'm like, hey, thanks for the promo. I'm like, man, you're looking good. Like he looks. Not jacked, but he looks like chiseled. Yeah. To cut. where you know, it's like again, another guy who's forty years old, who time, you know, time means nothing to him. You know, he looks like the prime of his life. And you know, we were talking about maybe doing some things uh, AEW weekend. You know, I got so many thoughts in my head. You know, we talked about the Future Legends uh, event we're going to probably do on the Thursday. Then there's also a possibility of Natural Born Killers. I'm looking Ooh. at doing maybe a Chris Bay branded art of finesse and work with Chris. It's like, hey, man, all these guys in GCW could do it. Why can't Chris Bay do it in, in, in Vegas? And again, that, that's up to him. And then I talked with uh, John Morrison about doing something. I even, I just sent them a text before we went on. Like, you know, I brought the idea about, you know, having dinner like we did with Matt Hardy, which went well, but Monday he couldn't do it because the show was on a Sunday. But then it was like, Hey, you know, that whole weekend in May, you know, what about, you know, there's going to be so many people in town from all different organizations right. talking about a comedy show, talking about a roast would be a lot of fun. You know, one night only thing, kind of like what they're doing with the Undertaker, except we wouldn't charge two hundred dollars. You know, or but, or, or six hundred on the floor. Yeah, well, they, yeah, they're the VIP tickets. You get to take a picture with them, I guess, for another four hundred and seventy-five dollars. <laughs> so, uh, but but it's like trying to make it an all-encasing entertainment thing. It's like, right. hey, if we do the Thursday show at say seven or eight o'clock, we can do like a adults only 11 p.m. roast or a, a comedy show you know we got rvd right here he's always looking to do some comedy yeah yeah and you know it, it's definitely and it you know there's a lot of a lot of guys who are doing it like colt yeah. cabana for example you know whether he'll be here AEW weekend or not you know he hasn't been used a lot but it's a possibility so right. there, there, there's so many guys that are available, you know, from Impact Wrestling stars that'll be out here, AEW stars, Ring of Honor stars. So you know, we're we're I'm excited. You know, I know GCW is already. Uh, I'll be meeting with the Nugget tomorrow to see about locking in the dates. And in San Antonio, we'll be back again Saturday afternoon at 12 noon. Uh, talking about doing uh, another Q&A with Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez that had a really good turnout last year. So we're going to try to compact it, get as much as we can in there. <clears throat> we learned a lot yeah. from the timing and things like that last year because of Rampage. And maybe the fans learned, hey, you know what? Rampage is going to be done by 5 or 6 o'clock. We don't have to worry and just not attend a really, really good FSW revolver show at seven seven thirty because you know we think we're going to be at the uh, at the show. So 
So, so we've learned how to reposition things and running stuff. And the good thing about the nugget is, you know, we could run at 12 o'clock. We could run at four o'clock. We could run at seven o'clock. We could run four shows. <coughs> so, and then we have our arena to save the cost on a venue on a Friday, on the Thursday, uh, talking maybe with GCW once again about doing an FSW GCW joint show Sunday afternoon at noon. Like we did the highly successful one on SummerSlam Sunday, where right. we did the show at noon and at 5 p.m. with SummerSlam. It didn't affect uh, anybody coming to our show at all. Right. Um, you know, from all those, you know, experiences, and you kind of said you learned a little bit. Is there something st that sticks out to you that maybe you thought would be successful and wasn't or was there something that you found that you might have not found you didn't think it would be something that the fans would gravitate to or that would work as well and then it actually exceeded your expectations was there anything like that that you've learned from doing these uh you know i guess grand big show weekends uh when they come to town yeah, I learned that GCW was smart enough to grab the best time slot. You know, I knew when the best time slot was, but right. I couldn't do that time slot because GCW would have ran at Silver Nugget, or if we were doing it at Silver Nugget, they would have ran elsewhere. Right. And the bottom line is they were going to be the ones that were going to draw the best. The problem we learned was Sammy Callahan ran his own revolver show at 4 o'clock. Well, didn't do as well as probably anybody would have expected. The FSW Revolver joint show Friday night with the best card of the weekend didn't draw as well as we had hoped. Right. And what were the answers for that? Well, Friday night, Rampage started at whatever. The tapings, one or two. They were over by six. But most people thought it aired on, on cable at 7 p.m. live. So they right. probably assumed that they were going there for the tapings and then Rampage would hit live at 7 o'clock. And right. that wasn't the case. So a lot of people chose not to come out. Uh, then we had the Revolver show on the, sa uh, the Saturday afternoon. Well, as my son Joey was there, they, they asked him to photograph the Fan Fest. They had a giant Fan Fest. It was 50 bucks to get in. And that wasn't even counting one person's autograph. And the bottom line was there was lines up the ass for all, it was packed. So yeah. those were all potential wrestling fans. Well, when that ended at five or six o'clock, now it's time to go out and do what you want to do in Vegas on a Saturday night. It's like, oh, GCW is running and they got Matt Cardona and they got all these guys on the show. And right. it's like, they were packed, you know, yeah. Matt Cardona's line, you know, he was by the bathroom and it was by the ring by the time his line was, was done with, you know? So we saw that was the best time slot. So now the options become, well, on Friday night, seven o'clock is probably not the best start time. You know, maybe it is eight or nine and, you know, but the problem is to fill that venue and you're, if we do it at nine o'clock, the best somebody else could do is midnight. So 
right. the Friday night becomes a little more difficult. You know, Saturday we did the 12 o'clock show. It ended at 2. And then we did the, uh, the Q&A. And then we did the uh, Revolver show at 4. And then we did GCW at 8. Well, right. you know, if we, could, if we can maneuver another show in there, uh, especially on Saturday, you know, become a little later. Like to maybe where GCW does start at 10 o'clock at night. Problem with them is, you know, they're big on fight TV. So 10 o'clock on the on the East Coast, on the West Coast is one in the morning. So now you're right. expecting the people. But they are also now on Fight Plus. So you can kind of watch it at any time and you're not worried about the buy rates. Right. But the thinking is, okay, well, if Saturday's free, instead of being later, you know, maybe GCW's at 7 and then maybe we talk to them about a Joey Janela show at midnight. We talk about an Effie show. We talk about a Chris Bay show. You know, those fans are already there. Do they leave or do they stick around for another round? It, it's it's similar to the collective. You know, they're doing four or five yeah. shows a day. And yep. they're doing shows WrestleMania week on a Thursday and on a Friday. And that's not counting the other companies that are running outside of the collective. Right. So they're going to run 60 shows. Well, let the strong survive. You know, we already have the built-in fan base of working with GCW. So those fans are going to know about the FSW show, whoever we're doing it with, on that Friday night. And getting the flyers out there. And social media is rampant. And, you know, nobody cares that Mike Bailey worked five times. It was like, cool, we get to see Mike Bailey work five cool matches. Yeah. So we had the opportunity where he got to work Vandegrift. And we got Chris Bay on the FSW Revolver show, won the Revolver Championship. Right. You know, so, but we had Rich Swan, Josh Alexander versus fucking Tom Lawler. You know, yeah. that had never been done before. You know, this was a great card. And it was really disappointing to me that the numbers we had were 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 less than even a locals only silver nugget show right and the same thing with sammy callahan we drew a little bit more than him but the numbers were pretty similar so that was you know the most disappointing thing of the weekend was right. having these great shows and and then we missed the ball we didn't get together with gcw for the sunday and then that show kind of came off last minute and it should have been better received if we would have promoted it, because that was the first time Matt Vandegrift won the No Limits title against Jay Vidal. And right. if we were working with GCW or, you know, we were talking with Black Label and we were talking about Revolver and everybody kind of making it a multiple event. But with so much going on between the Thursday and them, their, their own personal shows mixed in with the shows, you know, we didn't get it done the right way. And, right. and that's on me because I put it all together. So this year we're now in February and I already have ideas of, of 10 different events, but not all just wrestling shows. Cause I saw last year they would have, you know, they got AEW guys doing a karaoke thing somewhere. Yep. And it, it was just a festival of wrestling. And, yep. you know, I believe that we can provide the best option because AEW can only use their contracted people. So there's right. only so much they're going to do that weekend. 
wow, sky's the limit for us. You know, if we want to bring in fucking Suzuki, we can. If we want to bring in Kushida, we can. You know, I've 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 talked with you know Zach Saber Jr. and pitched because I saw he did the Fi this past weekend, and it's like, hey, we got this big thing in May. It isn't me worrying about paying Zach Saber Jr.'s rate and flying him in because you know GCW you will use him, you know Defy will use him, you know Black Label would use him or Sammy would use him or whoever's involved with this would use him. So yeah. now. You know, I remember last year, you know, talking with Jordan Oliver and he's like, I believe me, I've checked flights already for some of our future legend guys. And it's like, holy shit, you know, East Coast, five, six hundred dollars for a flight, right. which is crazy. But when you're doing five shows, now it's a five way split. It's a hundred bucks. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. I'm paying a hundred bucks for a flight for Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah. That's so now bad. all of a sudden all these guys are you know here's your list and a lot of times people get priced out you know between their pay and then their flight you know six hundred dollars on a flight memorial day weekend really prices a lot of those middle of the road guys who've had good success on the smaller big companies the ring of honors and the impacts and things like that so you know a morrison a cardona they're going to get theirs but when you want to use an Ace Austin and, you know, a Rich Swan, guys who are big in the impact thing, well, their price might be fair, but now paying that one-time fee of a five or $600 flight on top of it almost forces you into running a show that you can guarantee won't turn a profit. Right. Um, <clears throat> Have you uh, have you pitched uh, to GCW? Maybe you do Effie's Bay brunch, and you have Effie and Bay do the show as co-hosts of the show. I have not discussed that yet with Brett. Um, he hit me up today, uh, yesterday, like, "Hey, any word on the Nugget?" So, you know, we're hoping. You know, there's some minor. You know, issues, Cardona breaking a cash register, things like that. When the, you know, not that he broke the cash register, he grabbed the uh, the garbage can by the front entrance. And, of right. course, when he went to smash it, he smashed it on the thing. So they weren't happy there about it. So there might be, like, deposits that we didn't have to pay last year that may be incorporated <laughs> into the mix. So... <laughs> We're waiting and seeing and hoping it's not going to be an issue because, again, in the long run, their their show had to have done tons of liquor sales for them. Yeah. And there was no physical issues. It was just one thing that happened. I don't think they were too perturbed about the light tubes, which was fortunate. I tried to leave that out. I said, well, yeah, you know, they get pretty violent. But I didn't go into detail because, you know, didn't want to tell them. Because just in case, you know, that would have put the entire weekend, you know, in array of yeah. what we could have done. So, you know, fortunately, they saw it. And because when I asked her, I'm like, hey, they're going to do some some stuff in the ring, blah, blah, blah. She's like, as long as they're within the guardrails. And they were. 
you know, the light tubes were done in the ring. So again, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't feel safe with those things ever since I was uh, at Neonopolis and it was Jimmy Lloyd, of course, and the thing whizzed by me. So I'm like, how does that not put somebody's eye out? I don't know. Yeah. No, it's one of the most dangerous things that, uh, and it, I think Supreme might've been one of the first ones to start using light tubes. Um, you know, XM, XM, XPW might've been one of the first to do it. And uh, yeah, still it's one of the craziest things in wrestling. Uh, the other question I had about the potential, you guys do have two rings. Have you ever thought about while you have big shows going on at the nugget, having smaller shows uh, you know, whether it's, you know, rented out or even put together by you guys uh, or alternative stuff like comedy at the FSW arena while the other stuff is going on at the Nugget. Well, I think it is definitely a possibility. Uh, the only one, another concept, of course, is war games. You know, with the two rings. The problem is the new ring we got is like, I guess, the traditional size. Right. Which is closer to 40 inches or 42 right. inches. And our ring that we've used for years, I believe, I think it's 42 and 48 or something like that. Because right. I know Impact's going to be using it and they requested the new ring because of the height. Yeah. So, you know, somebody can break an ankle trying to go from ring to ring. Right. The problem with doing a show, I guess if we staggered it, you know right. what I mean? To where, hey, we're going to do the nugget on Saturday at four o'clock per se. Okay. And then we're going to move GCW to eight o'clock. Well, that probably makes it a really tight window from four to eight, but we could do something different at six o'clock or right. at 1130 or midnight at the arena. Right. So that's going to definitely open up the possibilities because, you know, I know on Thursday last year, violence and suffering, they ran their Thursday night thing downtown. Right. And, you know, they had their fans for that and they had good people. Some, you know, a lot of the guys, Titus Alexander Bay, a few of them, you know, Gatson worked both shows. Right. You know, they went from our show to their show. So we had some of those guys on early. And, yeah. you know, now I can't imagine somebody else isn't going to try to run. So, well, if we could lock it up, because Thursday for sure is going to be at the FSW arena. There's, you know, no, no doubt about it. Right. You know, cost wise, attendance wise, it's a, that's that's actually probably a better time slot. Thursday at 7 or 8 p.m. than the Friday night is because of Rampage. Yep. So Thursday, it's like people come into town, they go watch Dynamite on Wednesday. There's not a lot going on Thursday. Yep. Now, all of a sudden, we have this tournament, the Future Legends tournament. You know, he's got a lot of followers. But we're talking about putting people on the show who also have a good following. Yeah. And sure, we're talking a Matt, Vi a Matt Vandegrift, a Jay Vidal, a Bodie, a Nick Wayne, a Jordan Oliver, a Casey Navarro, a Billy Starks. You know, there, there, there's enough of those names, and especially with GCW, Commander. I've been watching some of that stuff, you know, yeah. 24 years old. 
And it's like he's going to be at the FSW Arena on Friday. So, you know, I talked to Brett. I guess Commander is another one of uh, Gringo Loco's guys. So he's like, yeah, I can get him for you through Gringo Loco. Well, which is fine, but I'm going to see him Friday. So it's like, hey, you're going to be out here anyway because I asked, you know, hey, you're planning on Vegas, you know. You know his main guys are, and Commander has become a guy. Man, and I've just seen some of the highlight reels of what he can do. Yeah. And it's, you know, in reality, the Future Legends tournament is really going to take the place of the Limitless tournament. So it's Limitless turned up a notch with an actual belt on the line. And like I said, the idea is the winner of the Future Legends tournament will now go to other promotions around the United States because of the backing of future legends who will sponsor that match. And any promoter is more than happy to take a really good wrestler and find out that he doesn't have to pay him to go be put on a show. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, you know, because, Oh, is it? No, it's not an FSW belt. Uh, would we defend it on say that Sunday if we do it on that Thursday night and we do a show Saturday and Sunday, absolutely. Because there's going to be a lot of future legends there. Right. So why wouldn't I want to showcase that match? And if I could showcase it on a revolver show or the five show a GCW show, it, it only helps the brand. Right. Uh, so speaking of future legends, you, you mentioned Vandegrift and you mentioned Jay Vidal. Uh, you know, Jay had a ceremony. He got his banner up, and yes, very heartwarming ceremony. It it, it was, and then it was, it was. No, it absolutely was. And then Danny Limelight comes and uh, has a video that basically just uh, killed Matt Vandergriff by telling him Jay Vidal was the attacker who cost him his title. Where the hell is this going? I mean. I'll be honest with you. I thought it was photoshopped until Jay Vidal beat him up after the uh, after the reveal. Man, that was crazier than a baby reveal back in the day. You know, yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty fucking smart. Uh, I I loved it. Uh, and Jay Vidal stating the fact that the reason he had to leave FSW was because of Matt Vandergriff was uh just perfect storytelling that was amazing because we never really you know i mean obviously he lost the the loser leaves fsw match it's literal it wasn't the loser leaves fsw see that's the point that's right right jay vidal had so much confidence in himself right he doesn't he shouldn't be it's his fault that he, he made that stipulation because he was so confident that he was going to beat Matt Vandegrift. And he didn't beat Matt Vandegrift. And the bottom line was Matt Vandegrift was the better man. Despite the fact Jay Vidal eventually gets signed by Impact, he should not be angry with Matt Vandegrift. Nobody presented this to be that way. So I'm going to leave FSW. If I lose, because why would he think he wasn't 
bad. It's not even being bad enough. Matt Vandegrift is one of the best wrestlers we have. You right. guys have gone back and forth. And to put, as I would say, all the eggs in the basket on that, you know, Matt Vandegrift is as much as Matt Vandegrift loves and respects Jay Vidal. Not sure where the love is at this point today, but it was like Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair. As much as he loved Ric Flair, he wasn't going to throw in the towel and lose. These are competitive people. And if, you know, I guarantee you, Matt told Jay Vidal, don't put your career on the line, but he chose to. And then he lost. And now all that rage was built in. And he could say, yeah, you know, Matt Vandegrift, he's jealous of what I have. He could be, you know, as much as we say. And I've learned over the test of time, people talk about the brotherhood. But the brotherhood is only as strong as where you are, particularly on the card. If you feel that you should be the champion, and Joe DeFalco doesn't feel that, you're going to have animosity toward that guy over there who is the champion. Yep. And well. what's funny is everything's all peaches and flowers and roses and all that great stuff when you're the champion. Then when you're not the champion and it's like, hey, I'm not going to be able to use you on this show. We got nothing for you. All of a sudden, it becomes a personal issue. And I don't like that person. And there's this reason. And it's that reason. And why aren't I on this show? And it's like, well, we're defending five championships at No Escape. Uh, we have Nick Xander and Nick Bugatti. We're at six matches. You know, I, I appreciate the fact that you prefer not to be in a five-man scramble. But it's either that or you don't be on the show. Yeah. So, you, that's your choice. If you choose not to be on it, well, that's on you. But if you're not on it, when I'm starting to progress for the next show, well, what am I going to do? Clutch won the scramble on uh, uh, that we just had. Well, right. we need baby faces to challenge champions. Well, Clutch is deserving over Damian Drake because Damian Drake had the Nevada State Championship match. He lost. Then he was in the scramble, and he didn't win. So why would he be ahead of Clutch in the opportunity to go after the Nevada State champion again? Well, Sharp just beat Damian Drake. Well, maybe that's a spot for uh, a Clutch. Maybe it's a spot for Juicy, who came back and won the scramble at the big No Escape show. And Jacob Austin Young, he came off beating Danny Limelight two weeks before he even won the No Limits Championship. So that kind of puts Jacob Austin Young in that match. And Nick Xander won the Steel Cage match. So he's one of the hottest baby faces right now. And for him, you know, he he was looking and inkling his way into a match with Ice Williams. And I'll elaborate more. But, no, you know, normally if you don't win a match, like Nick Xander didn't win against Braxton, which would have catapulted him into a match with Ice Williams, no doubt. Now I have to sit back and look at circumstances. Well, the circumstances are obviously Ice Williams didn't want to defend the title against Nick Xander. Well, 
Ice Williams doesn't dictate who's going to be wrestling for championships. You know, he's the champ. Right. This is who we put in front of him. And, you know, I'll announce it right now. March 4th, Nick Xander's going to get a title match. Against, as, he as he should against Ice Williams. The fact that he lost, all it means is he better find some friends because we know what the faction's capable of doing, as they did. And they were all involved. Ice looked like he was, you know, in a good spot doing the commentary, you know, and, you know, it, it took it took three of them, a briefcase, and a belt. And a belt. And a belt to take out Alexander. It wasn't even just a briefcase. Or it wasn't just a belt. You know, they tried to throw, if they had a kitchen sink, they would have thrown that at him. But fortunately, we fixed the one in our bathroom, so, uh, it, you know, it doesn't come apart as easily. Well, that brings up a great question. You know, with the involvement of those types of objects and, you know, the 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 fact that, uh, you know, I, if I was Nick, I'd be pissed as hell, uh, would we not potentially see a weapons match, maybe not on the fourth, but possibly down the line if uh, it gets ugly on the fourth? You know, there's a lot of different things, you know. We did it once before with the faction, and that's how Bodie beat Braxton. We had a lumberjack match. That way it evened out the odds. You know, you could say, hey, they're banned, and then, you know, if the referee don't see it, the fact that they're banned, usually you're not going to reverse decisions. So, you know, there's a lot of people that are probably inkling for a title match with Fresco and Watson. And, you know, we're figuring that out, but they're definitely going to be on the card. You know, we, we gave them, you know, despite what ICE and, and the faction may say, because if I was that much against them, as they like to claim, then I probably would have put them in action that night. But we allowed them to have their celebration as well-deserved. They, they, they beat, you know, it didn't matter what the odds were and what they did to beat Hammerstone, you know. Other people have had that opportunity and it, it didn't happen. And however they did do it, you know, they were able to beat Hammerstone. So we're going to give them their celebration. We're going to let them open the show and hopefully not go for two hours and that be the end of the show. Uh, but then maybe that'll happen in May. Maybe we'll have a, uh, a lights camera faction. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll redecorate the arena to look like the Dre's nightclub. And we can get bottle service and all the, you know, all of Ice's friends and family could come and celebrate in a different way. You, you know, know, Joe, wait, why, why decorate the FS arena? Why not just rent a nightclub, put the ring in there? Whoa, 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 whoa. Who, who's paying for that? I'm just saying, you know, uh, you know, maybe I've so got. You, you, you people... do, so where do you do the podcast at your house? Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, you've seen Fresco. He has that really ex expensive-looking studio, and yeah. he has to pay X amount of dollars. Yeah. Well, it looks great. Why don't you do it there? Why don't you rent it out to do the world-famous DeFalco Files? Well, it, it see, that's the whole thing. I mean, I could, but we You could, but you choose not DeFalco, to. We'd have to use DeFalco money. Well, there you have it. You know, if you're not using your money, we're not using my money. 
So, you know, there you have it. It's called cause, cost and effect. The, ma- the fact that. of the matter is, it, you know, why would I spend a lot of money to rent something out when I have an absolutely free thing to use? I have, an, I have my own arena. Brian Cage got married there, bro. So, yeah, obviously, yeah. it's a world-famous arena. You know? Yeah. Man, he just, may not yeah. want me bringing that up. That was years ago. You know, different wife. True. Whatever. Uh, Cody got married there. Yep. Uh, yeah. Who else? Uh, guy out of uh, NorCal uh, got married there. We've had three or four weddings there. Hey, maybe the, there's an option for uh, AEW weekend right there. Yeah, is there a, you know, is there a wrestler? We had talked there? about that with Matt Hardy, but we do have Cody and I believe Funny Bone are licensed ministers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there you go. I'm gonna start advertising. Anybody wants to get married Memorial Day weekend, boom, you know, give them a discount. Yeah, and I wonder uh, right now if there's a hot couple on the indie scene who might be in town who are thinking about tying the night. That would be a perfect little thing. We actually did. I, I just forgot and I remembered about it. There was a couple from Canada that Sinbodi knew at the old arena. Wow. That got married when it, we, we did a show for uh, we did the CAC show at the FSW arena. The one time they actually drew fans because we right. promoted it and uh, a, a male and female wrestler from Canada that Sin knew got married in the middle of the ring. And I'm go. pretty sure Raven wasn't the one who uh, commandeered that one. So he was there at the show, but I don't believe he married. Might have been sin for all I know. I can't remember. But now that we're talking about it, so that would have been the fifth wedding that we've yeah. done there. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned uh, Wolf's 80s. Uh, they look amazing, of course. Uh, Tito and Che are on top of their fucking game. Uh, oh, but they, they, they are, They're in fantastic shape. It, I used to always joke. I even said it to Che when I saw him. would be like, Man, Che, you're jacked. And it would be like, yeah, Tito's a little chubby. Then it'd be like, man, Tito, you're jacked. And it'd be like, oh, Che's a little chubby. It was like your girl had the baby, Che, not you. You know what I'm saying? But now these guys, and, and, and again, it shows how it pays off. Tito has been around a long time. And in the last year or two, man, he's gotten everything that he truly deserves. And yep. it's like. You know, he just came off a Japanese tour where he got to wrestle Okada and he got to wrestle Suzuki and he got part of the TMDK. So there was a lot of love there. And Che Cabrera, you know, similar to our Gregory Sharps and the uh, Jacob Austin Youngs that they were prominently featured. I hadn't talked to Che in a long time and I got to see him again at New Japan Strong because he took a lot of time off. You know, I'm not sure any of the reasonings for it, if it was personal, if it was by choice, whatever. But, you know, I saw him there and we talked about the, uh, him coming back. He was all for it. And it was, it was, it was surreal, man. You know, I remember the days of the following or the gods of war, which was Hammerstone and Graves. And it was all these young cats, which was Jacob Austin Young and, and Tito and Che and Hammerstone and Graves 
and Graves coming out with the 300 shield and Thor's and Hammerstone's coming out like Thor and he's got the 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 fucking hammer and the long hair and it was like man that was your third fourth and fifth best tag team in yeah. the division and you had the Reno scum and you had the commandos and you had the whirlwind gentlemen. And it was like, man, you want to talk about a tag division. And yeah. I want to get back to that. You know, we got some good teams, but the depth just isn't there. Well, let me ask you about that. And this is a great question just for wrestling in general. Obviously WWE kind of sets the tone a lot of the times for, you know, what kind of follows and tag teams, even though Triple H loved, you know, loves Thames uh, and loves the psychology behind it, Vince, of course, you know, had a different theory on tag teams, which made sense. But at the same time, when you look and you, you just had a great, you know, list of a, the tag teams in that division, do you think that a lot of the young guys who, you know, are maybe, a uh, year, two years, three years in, they nowadays want the spotlight to themselves and don't realize that, you know, there would be some great opportunities for them if they could find that right partner who is kind of in the same boat as they are. Because it seems to be that you don't, if you, I mean, you literally look around the indie scene and. <clears throat> It's you can name single star after single star after single star, but how many tag teams can you really name? Is that a problem in the business that tag teams are just not being sought after because of the uh, the single celebrity that comes with establishing yourself as a single star? Well, when Gabe Sapowski was down at WWE from WWE, he was down at our school and he was talking about different things and people were asking a lot of questions. And that was one of the points he brought up. He was like, back in the day, you knew that team, you know, you knew the Young Bucks. That was that that rising star team that was going to, you know, come up. And, you know, even if back in the day, Ricochet and Swan, whatever it was. And it was like, nowadays, there isn't that tag team that you could look at like they're the next ones. And what you say about individual stuff, I'll take you to two of our teams, okay? Number one, the Unguided. They were two guys, Damian Drake, been around forever in FSW, Matt Vandegrift, Rising Star. They rose meteorically in the FSW world as a tag team, as the Unguided. And the Unguided really clicked with the audience, whether it's the anti-hero type thing, they came out, the look, you know, it was something nobody else did. You know, you could compare it to the purge all you want, but, you know, they weren't killing anybody. But the difference was they they had an attitude. They had a persona. Matt Vandergriff right. never had an attitude or persona. So this was his first, you know, putting his toes in there. And Damian right. Drake had been successful in different in different realms, but... This catapulted both of them to where other people were noticing them. Conan would put them together in AAA. When they had a tryout, We I talked with Conan. We put things together. And then we had tryout matches. I specifically put Matt Vandegrift with Damian Drake because I felt their mesh in a one-on-one -on -one match would be 
would be so successful that Conan would be interested in using him. Boom. I was correct. They went down to Tijuana and they wrestled a bunch of six mans a lot of times or whatever. But the idea was he liked the idea of them working together. And unfortunately, the pandemic hit and that kind of kiboshed it. Well, now the unguided had that meteoric rise and they became tag team champions and everything was going good. And, you know, they beat Death Proof, another top tag team that were starting to get love on the West Coast. And then and the difference with Cody and Jake compared to the unguided is they had been together on and off for seven, eight years in the following didn't always tag, but sometimes they did if the other guy wasn't there. So they've known each other extremely well. Then you got the R&B, and they were another big-time successful tag team. And Sugar Brown decided to step out. And Clutch took time off, and now he's back as singles. Well, going back to the unguided, they were on a run. They were rolling. Damian Drake got hurt. Matt Vandegrift got put in a situation. Another tag team, almost exact same situation, was the Bad Bitches with Jay Vidal and Parada. Now, Jay Vidal was far better than Parada, but their chemistry together, they were an extremely fun tag team, and they were feuding with R&B and actually got a big win over them. And despite the fact we knew Jay Vidal was very, very, very good and, and definitely ahead of Parada, putting them together kind of morphed them and it really elevated Parada, but it didn't bring down Jay Vidal. So now we had another tag team that we could count on. Well, now Parada decided that he didn't want to wrestle anymore. Um, When, by the time Damian Drake came back, Matt Vandegrift had been so successful. He decided, you know what? I want to do this. I think I could be hugely successful. If you, if you take away those injuries, you know, the unguided, you don't know where Matt Vandegrift and Damian Drake would be today. And everybody wants the single success, but it's hard. It's death proof. You know, they kind of grew apart because of different philosophies of what they both wanted to accomplish in the business. And you can't be a great tag team if you're not on the same page. And we started seeing that toward the end. And it, it basically kind of imploded, and, and, they, and they went their own ways. And, you know, look at Jacob Austin Young. All of a sudden, you know, he got that singles match with Davey Richards in the beginning of last year. Yep. And that catapulted him into getting the opportunity to work for New Japan because yep. Jake was more, you know, always studying the New Japan style and, yep. and, the, and the offense and, and doing things that, weren't really seen on the American Indies. Well, Cody had a whole different style and Cody's had different characters that have been extremely successful, you know, and as a tag team, they came together, but then they had different wants and needs. So that's what happens with tag team wrestling. You know, sometimes it's somebody's not working as hard and it's like, man, I'm busting my ass. And I don't see you training at the school. I don't see you in the gym. You know, you're, you're not that excited about, hey, we're going for a shitty payday, but we're going up to Washington to wrestle today. And we, right. got, a, we got a booking in Texas. And it's like, oh, I don't really want to go. And it's like, who are we working? 
And, and, and that's part of it. It's a lot easier to take yourself and do whatever the fuck you want to do. Yeah. So you could go out there and get anything you want as a tag team. But now if you, you have to hope that your partner wants to do it. So yeah. now if your partner doesn't want to do it, he's got something else planned or whatever. Is that promoter going to hit you up about the next show or the show after when you weren't booked and you still didn't take his booking? Now other people have come in and said, hey, I really want to work. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to use you. You know, it's the same as even with singles wrestlers. You know, I got hit up by a guy who hit me up uh, last year. And it's like, hey, you know, I really want to work, blah, 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 blah. Really good, 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 good wrestler. I don't need to really blow him up. So I'm right. like, okay, well, he he was going to drive up with somebody that we use regularly. And it was like, I'm like, uh, yeah, we got that show next month. But I said, you know, I'd have a spot for you on the show fr uh, Saturday. And maybe this is Tuesday. And he's like, okay, I'll hit him up. I'll make sure, you know, I'll be there. Day of the show. The other guy shows up. Hey, where's your boy? Oh, he didn't tell you? Uh, no. Oh, no, he's not here. Uh, he had an emergency. Uh, and he wasn't able to make it. I'm like, so the guy who hit me up about the booking couldn't even have the decency to reply back the day of the show to say, hey, something's come up, Joe. Really appreciate the opportunity. Right. So... I had to hear it from the other guy. And then a week and a half ago, I get a message from the guy like, hey, if you got anything, I'm really interested in, in coming up. And me being Joe, Joe being Joe, you know, my response was, well, you know, last year we had you booked on a booking you asked me to book you for. And then you just didn't show up and didn't bother to tell me. And now today is the first I've heard from you since. <laughs> Not even like a week later after, you know, an emergency, from what I understand, was with his pet. I love my dog. Okay, I can, I, I, I can accept that. But you didn't even bother after the fact to say, hey, you know what? Something came up. I had an issue with my dog. Blah, 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 blah. You know, this normally wouldn't happen. I'd love to come back. But you waited more than a year to hit me up. Yeah. And it's like, dude. I've gotten 40 other people who've come in who've done what I've needed them to do. And again, not everybody makes every show. Brandon Gasson got hurt the day before no escape. Hey, Joe, I fucked up my knee. It popped out of place, you know, and he's got to drive by himself out here. He didn't feel comfortable. Right. But Brandon has missed a few shows over the time period. You know, a lot of people don't know Brandon Gatson that well because he's only been with us more recently. But Brandon Gatson wrestled for me from like 2010 to 2015 or 16 on a very regular basis. So the newer fans who may not know who he is. So he's built up a rapport, but he's also always understood. He just didn't show up. And then out of nowhere, like, hey, boss, you got a book in for me? Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, well, because there's so many people. And it's yeah. like, well... Out of mind, out of sight. Uh, that brings uh, us right into the segue of what is going on with TBD because they looked very out of sync in this match. Uh, they definitely did. You know, the thing is, you can call 
them losing to Lights, Camera, Faction, and upset. But even as our tag team champions, it's not an upset if you lost to Tito and Che. Right. You know what I'm saying? That These guys have held championships everywhere they've been. Right. So with TBD, you know, usually you have that lull after a loss and, and maybe they're feeling sorry for themselves. And in reality, kind of from the beginning, they didn't look like the dominant tag team they have over, you know, the last eight months that they've been champions. So, you know, now it's time to sit back because now here again, these were two guys that were very successful singles guys. They work out partners, good friends, train with Sefa, train with Bay, <coughs> train with that crew. And they kind of started around the same time, but a lot of people don't know. Hero Lou tore his ACL and he was out for more than a year, probably close right. to a year and a half. But now he had a restart. Like he he wasn't even like getting matches. Like I remember yeah. he was in the uh, one of the the Rumble match a few right. years back as a rookie. And then but that was like one of two matches he may have had. So when he came back, he was technically a rookie and one rookie of the year because he had no matches. And now putting them together, you know, always trying to accentuate people's strengths and trying to hide their weaknesses. And a guy like Hero Lou, I felt needed a veteran presence in there with him. You know, he could have good matches with a lot of people. And, you know, guys like Hammerstone and Graves had nothing but good words to say about him. EC3, uh, you know, really enjoyed working with him. But I felt that needing tag teams, I approached them. And I'm like, hey, you know. And you got to understand, Shogun's a guy who was wrestling Chris Bay for the heavyweight title. He was a top contender. He then had a feud with Hammerstone and Graves where he needed a mystery partner. We brought in Kenny King. Won the titles. Pandemic hit. They defended him the day before the 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 world was closed in March of 2020. Yep. And they didn't really wrestle again until I believe uh Kenny wrestled Damian Drake because we were setting up for them with the unguided. And the unguided beat them for the titles. So Kenny and Shogun, you know, Kenny was always a guy that we didn't really use on tons of occasions. So Shogun really never had a run with the tag championship. So I thought there was a good opportunity. I thought him and Hero Lou would gel. These are two big guys that, you know, this could be something, you know, with some juice behind it. And they embraced it because they are good friends. And despite the fact that, Shogun's ultimate goal is being the heavyweight champion. He was really disappointed that he didn't really get to excel as a tag team champion with Kenny King. So when he got the opportunity with Hero, you know, he went with it full force. And in, in reality, I think it brought Hero Lou up and then they get a match with Carlito and Masters and they're getting to work people. And even now working Tito and Che, you know, it, it's a good moment for them. You know, after I watched the match, you know, my thinking was, well, 
you know, maybe maybe we give them a little break from the from the tag. But one idea is a guy like Hero Lou wrestling Tito Escondido and a Shogun wrestling Che Cabrera. You know, those are those are instead of a bruiserweight tag, you know, that's two good matches. Yeah. You know, and you know, I'm I'm the business guy, you know. I'm paying them the same rate, whether it's singles or tag. But now I got two matches for the same price. Right. I would have one match right. in, in terms of, but you're not losing anything from having that match because whoever wins that match or those matches really elevates them. So if a Tito Escondido or a Shogun win, I wouldn't want to be Ice Williams knowing that one of those guys is coming after me. True. These are bad motherfuckers. He ain't called yeah. bad dad, bad dude Tito for nothing. <laughs> bad dude Tito. Hey, you know, if you reverse bad dude Tito, it's TD, TDB. <laughs> oh, that was close. <laughs> oh, yeah. TBD, TDB. Yeah, I guess so. I was thinking it spelled the same way. I was, I was ready to put myself over, but I fucked it up. Wasn't right. But you know, it was close, Joe. It was close. It was, I, it was so close. <laughs> you know, almost as close as the the script that the NFL had, right? That said it was thirty seven thirty four, and they were off thirty eight thirty five. But you know, in reality, they had to change the winner. They had they had to change the finish because it was leaked, as everybody said, that Philly was winning thirty seven thirty four. So since it was leaked, they had to reverse it. Unfortunately, <laughs> because then the whole world would have known. Right, right, and and God forbid the the NFL gets exposed <laughs> for their script. You know, well, that's why the Chinese were monitoring with the balloons. That's why it happened that week. What nobody understands is they were trying to get that inside information on who was going to win the Super Bowl. I heard they well, were scouting it from the balloon. The the question is. Uh, who who are the writers for the NFL? That's the other thing. Who the yeah, hell? Yeah, I want script? that job. I'm this telling you. So <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure Tom Brady's the head writer. <laughs> Bel Belichick and Brady. There we go. There you go. Uh, no, but Belichick was a uh, Belichick. Uh, they got they got rid of him two years ago. Yeah. That's yeah. Oh. Yeah. He 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 just retired. He's. Uh, yeah. You know what? Uh, as we as we kind of were about an hour in here, uh, one of the the matches I didn't want to ask you about. Uh, Jimmy Jack won the future. Jimmy Shock Jack. So so he got an opportunity to wrestle for the Nevada State title against Gregory Sharp. How do you think Jimmy Jack did? Now keep in mind too, he he did wrestle a battle royal. And then wrestled sharp later in in the night. Um, do you think you know he represented himself well enough? Obviously, he is over as hell with the fans. Um, but a guy like Sharp really kind of put Jimmy Jack in his place. Uh, what do you see in terms of the potential of what Jimmy Jack could potentially do? And how do you think he needs to focus to get to that? Next part of his, you know, his learning process is his ladder stepping to get to that that next niche where he needs to be. Everything that's done is that that I try to do has a rhyme or reason, and 
Gregory Sharp's going to be there. He doesn't really have a, a, a ready-made opponent. Uh, you know, you could again, they've had history in the past. I could have pulled a clutch and just said, hey, we're going to do Gregory Sharp versus clutch. But I felt that, hey, you know what? We came out of no escape, big show. A lot of the younger kids didn't get to work. We're not doing a future shark till uh, future shock till March 10th. It's it's a way to get the young guys an opportunity in a battle royal. And then yeah. it's a great opportunity for whoever wins, being that the majority of the guys were, you know, a couple of years in or less. You know, there was there was a few, you know, we wanted to get Sky High on the show and Ricky or whatever. And the thing was, you want to talk about a massive upset, obviously, if Jimmy Jack would have won. But it also gives them an opportunity for Jimmy Jack that he never would have had for a long time to come. So right. now, here's a guy who's extremely over. And you don't want that ego to set in. Because you see it a lot. The crowd gets behind you. All of a sudden, you don't feel the need to always work as hard because you're getting these opportunities. Well, Jimmy Jack gets this opportunity. And now he's going to be soaring sky high. No offense to them. That he just wins the battle royal. And now he wrestles arguably 1A, 1B for wrestler of the year of, of FSW. And he's going to go in there and, you know, he's just a shit kicker and he loves the fans and rah, 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 rah. But if you don't have 150% of your attention on Gregory Sharp, you're probably going to lose 99 out of 100 times anyway. So imagine when your focus is elsewhere. And the reason for that match was to give someone an opportunity to see where they stand. You know, the problem with uh, Jimmy Jack is he's had a couple injuries and he yeah. had just recently come back. So right. now now he's really not at 100% with his shoulder, but he's not going to give up that opportunity to get in the Battle Royal to try to win, to get the opportunity to wrestle Gregory Sharp. Right. And hopefully he sees his performance and was like, well, yeah, I did, I did, pretty, I did pretty good. Right. He did pretty good for a guy at his level. If he was wrestling for 12 years, he would have done shit because Gregory Sharp beat the fuck out of him. And and Jimmy Jack did some good things, but he has a lot of work to do in the in-ring game. You know, he's got a little little bit easier than, say, a guy like AJ, former ref. He's a lot smaller. So he's got to do a lot more. And, and and really put pressure on somebody because of his not-so-big stature. Well, right. Jimmy Jack, you know, he hits you with one big slam. I don't care who you are. You know, it's going to rock you a little bit. This guy's 280 yeah. pounds. You know, he fucking splashes on you. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. You know, yeah. it could be Gregory Sharp. If he's able to mount a big offensive – The thing was, Gregory Sharp made sure that Jimmy Jack didn't really get on a roll and really put things together and then get the crowd behind him and firing up. And then all of a sudden, holy shit, out of nowhere, we have a new Nevada State champion. You know, know, look at Jimmy Jack. He had a tough time beating the chickens. So, you know, he's going to be Gregory Sharp. 
did did you did you just say for the first time in 140 uh, episodes uh, that Jimmy Jack was beating his chicken? I said he was beating. He didn't beat the chicken. So he didn't beat his chicken. No, he did not beat the chicken. But I heard when he got home, he beat the chicken. So I don't know. All, all, all I can say is it was a pretty large cock he had. It was. You know, I think he was uh, filmed. Uh, I think it was filmed via satellite from uh, Sinbodi's uh, chicken ranch. Uh, out in Perumph. Yeah. Um, don't, be, don't be giving away that information. Listen, listen. No one's going to be able to find it anyway. So, it's, well, somebody somebody found his LJN figure, so I wouldn't say that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And and congratulations, Sin too. He's got his new studio up uh, for the LJNs. So that actually was cool to see. This one. was a nice studio. Maybe you should film out of there. Hey. Yeah. You want, you want to make a drive to Perumph with me every week? No, it'll be like my radio show. I'll just sit on the phone. Yeah, Joe doesn't come to the show. Dude, it's at 8 a.m. on Sunday. I got to pick up my wife at like 1 o'clock in the morning on Saturday night. You live, you, the studio's on the other side of town. I'm not getting up at 7 in the morning. No, sorry. You know, I'll give you my expertise the same exact way I could do it on the phone. <laughs> you know, it was like this week. So, hey, we got Chris Bay and we got Baby Doll on. So, Chris Bay's going to be on for segment two and three. Okay. So, show starts at eight. They put me on hold. They go through the six minutes of fucking commercials. So, it's 8.06. I talk for 13 minutes. They go to commercial. They come back. Chris Bay till nine in the morning. Doesn't ask me one question about the guy that we trained. Okay. It's like, what the fuck? Comes back at 902 because we've got baby doll in the second and third segment. So I had to wake up at eight in the morning for 25 minutes of a two hour show. So he goes, Oh, you know, so what do you think? I'm like, Well, you know, really would have loved to delve into a lot of the information about Chris with his training, you know. And, oh, yeah, you know, we could do that. And he's thanking Ross Foreman from Impact, you know. And right. I was like, you wanted Bay on the show? Maybe you could have just asked me. Like, I'm not understanding. So we finish up the segment, and it was uh, 9.20 because it's a two-hour show. And it was like, hey, we'll be right back with Baby Doll. And I got click, and I turned off the thing. Like, I'm going to sit there. He didn't ask me a question about Chris Bay. Like, because he brought up earlier about Baby Doll. Like, Baby Doll was before my time, to be honest with you. Right. You know, right. she wasn't before my time, but it was before my time of watching the Wrestling. NWA stuff. Yeah. You know, right. she was on the tail end of when I would watch the TBS shit. You right. know, and my time was more like Cornette with the Midnight Express. Right. And, you know, it was probably the early 80s. While she was with Flair and all them, the Horseman was already born you know and i'm already into the horseman with barry windham and you know i caught the tail end of Oli, you know into, into right. window you know i even caught the tail end of uh Heyman, man paulie dangerously managing Condry and randy rose oh yeah 
what an abysmal version of the Midnight Express that was. Hey, who would, uh, ever, who would have ever thought that uh, Paul Heyman, who was talented as hell, no doubt, and then, you know, goes to EC, you know, or creates the ECW persona for Eastern Championship Wrestling, but now is probably one of the greatest managers in the history of the business. It's unbelievable, his maturity now. Who would have known that in 1983 when a young Paul Heyman walked into the WARY radio studios at Westchester Community College where Joe DeFalco was the music director? Yeah, I'm Paul Heyman, blah, 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 blah. So he came down to the radio station. And then all of a sudden we talked about wrestling. And it was like, yeah, I helped do Ring Crew when they're in town for the Westchester County Center and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, like, again, four years later, maybe, all of a sudden I heard of Paulie Dangerously. I had no fucking knowledge it was Paul Heyman, you know, because he was Paulie Dangerously. It was like Windy City Wrestling. You know, there was a show with Joe Pettacino, like Pro Wrestling This Week, that was like syndicated. And I was like, hey, today our guest is Paulie Dangerously. And I just always remember. And I tell the story over and over. All of a sudden they flashed over and I'm like, holy fuck, that's Paul Heyman. What the fuck? And that was my introduction of uh, Paul Heyman, the guy, the kid that I knew was now so, a manager in professional wrestling. Is is this is if I if I would put in to WWE to try to get Paul Heyman on this show, do you think that Paul would remember that meeting uh, or at least even going into the radio station? Oh, he does know it because my son ran into him when that because I was actually trying to go and I didn't have the right. It was whatever the beach thing that he was doing, uh, Heyman and Mars. I don't know if you know Mars. Do you know Mars? Joey's buddy? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, Mars and him went in and I was like, yeah, I'll just drop you guys off because I had regular shorts on and you're supposed to have like trunks on. Like it mattered. Same shirt. And, you know, and he talked because I knew we knew him. My buddy, uh, Dave Penna who's the one who runs the Boogie Nights franchises and stuff in Atlantic City, he had run into Paul in New York a few different times, and we talked about the radio station. So he knew who I was. All right. Now, how much how much he, he really knew and acted like he really knew, like he made my kid feel like he knew me really well. And, and it wasn't like I only, but that's it wasn't why like I only talked to him once. You know what I mean? Like right. he was there for some months, so we would talk you know, on numerous occasions, but you know, there's a hundred people that I probably talked to, to there. I ran the radio station. There might've been 500 people that I talked to more than him and I couldn't remember their names, but obviously with Paul, I did because it was a few years later, you know what I mean? Right. And then like to see all he's accomplished, it's like, wow, crazy. Yeah. And that's, and that's why he's so good because that's like you said, whether or not he vividly remembers, he still can paint the picture to, you know, show that he, uh, you know, uh, is, uh, I guess, um, you know, engages. He engages you in a conversation that when you walk away, you feel good about it. And you, you don't know the truth because he's that good as, you know, publicly presenting himself 
as just a guy who, you know, is so likable. And even as a manager who's supposed to be so hateable, you just love the guy because he's just that good at making you feel something. Which is well, hard I'll tell to you, do. you know, when they did the Roman Reigns Logan Paul thing out here in Vegas, I can't remember how it happened, but my kid went there and and basically his job was to shadow Paul Heyman because he recognized him from the thing and you know said who he was again, and they had him shoot. So Joey shot most of that press conference. Yeah. And you know, obviously Heyman was a major part of that to where they allowed him because nobody from WWE knew who he was at the time. So, you know, that that brief time that we've known each other from a college radio station, you know, helped my kid get a a major notch on the resume. So, that, so I'm good. that I'm grateful prick that he is. Well, but that's the thing now, you know, the DeFalco name is something that is very valuable. And uh, now Joey needs to just run with that and use. Yeah, use that's the right. Name. It's, running, it's running wilder than uh, Hulkamania here in La in Las Vegas. Um, you know, as we wrap up, uh, is there anything talk about the uh, young prodigy and Chris Bay? Well, I was going to say, is there anything that sticks out in your mind about Bodie's performance against Chris Bay because? Uh, I think we're starting to see uh, a boy become a man now. Yeah, I, I think we've seen that for more than just at this past show. You know, I know when I saw when uh, Sammy Callahan for the first time got to see Bodie, he was popping like crazy. He's like, I'm putting that guy on my show, that kid. And he put him and he was true to his word when they had their 67 man scramble at the uh, Silver Nugget that day. Uh, Bodie was part of it. Yeah, and you know, you, you forget how good Chris is in terms of being able to. Can can you can you say Chris is one of those guys who could work a broomstick and make it look amazing? Is is Chris at that level right now that? Everything he does is just, he's just so smart with how he approaches his in-ring business to help the other guy look so good. Well, it, it happens because he knows where he's at now, you know, and when, especially when it comes to FSW, you know, he wants to work with people that he feels puts in the time puts in the work, people that he likes, you know, you know, that's why he got involved with, with, with ice and doing stuff, you know, uh, Nino black Bodie, you know, he, he's picked those guys, you know, when he's in a situation that he is now that, Hey, you know what? He signed a new deal in impact. He doesn't really have to wrestle in FSW. I didn't have him booked on the show. Chris Bay books himself on the show. He's like, hey, bro, I'm free the 10th. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And it's kind of like, hey, you know, whatever you're looking to do, you want to do a promo? Cool. And it's like, well, hey, what were you thinking? And I'm like, I don't know. You want to have a match with Braxton? You he was like, yeah, you know, I did my stuff with the faction last year, you know. 
Anything else you're thinking? I'm like, well, we had talked about doing it on New Year's was the Bodie thing. And he was like, yeah, I'll do that. I'd love to work Bodie. So, you know, he went there and, and, you know, back and forth match. And he let the kid, he let the kid be himself and go out there and do things. You know, I'm not sure the Bullet Club was too appreciative of the uh, the do-rag getting put on Bodie's head. You know what I'm saying? I, really? I mean, that might be blasphemy. We might have the Yakuza coming after uh, coming after Bodie uh, pretty soon. Or it might be foreshadowing, and uh, you might be losing Bodie because uh -oh. they might kidnap him and take him to Japan. And uh, That's all right. They come back just like they did, so we're okay. All he right. can go there and come back. It'll, 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 you know, Bodie could be the youngest guy ever to be in the Wall of Fame. Oh, look at this. Uh oh. Hopefully, hopefully he won't uh, turn on Chris Bay after it happens. <laughs> well, you know what? If, uh, if, if Nick Wayne could sign an <laughs> AEW contract, uh, I think it was about a year ago now, uh, yeah. who's to say Bodie, you know? No doubt. I know, I know. Gabe was very impressed with Bodie, seeing that he was only 15 years old. Yeah. You know, and, and even at his young age, you know, you got to credit Bodie. He's he actually got in. He's getting in the gym. He, he's yeah. he's he's starting to fill out. You know, yeah. he's taller than a good amount of the 20 something wrestlers that are out there. Yeah. So all he needs to do is really fill out. You know, eat well, and you know, slowly, you know, get some muscle mass in there. So by the time he's 17 or 18, you know, he's ready to roll big in the big time. And, you know, the, I guess, most recent example of that in uh, NXT was uh, Thea because she literally graduated high school and then the next day or within the next week or so, she was right onto TV. And, you know, it was because she had her training while she was, you know, 16, 17, 18, and they loved her in her tryout. And that was it. She was, she was signed essentially while she was still in high school, but they couldn't, you know, they couldn't execute her until she turned 18. And as soon as she did, boom. And she was on TV with, within, you know, a short amount of time and, She's good. She's really good. So, you know. Well, so why, why can you be a child actor at seven years old? But if you're good enough to be a wrestler at 15, you know, it, it, in Mexico, sense. there's guys that, you know, as I saw, I forgot who it was, but they were talking about their, you know, their status. And it was like 20 25 years old, the 11-year veteran, you know what I mean? Their first match, TJP, you know, things like that. Yeah. You know, these guys yeah. wrestled internationally when they were 16 years old. I think uh, even PJ Black, uh, because his dad had the promotion and stuff, PJ was doing stuff when he was a kid. You know, uh, Mysterio started when he was 14. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's, and, and it's... Yeah. it's, it's it's so weird to see that, but it's like, you know, Billy Starks was like, hey, you know, we're doing something for the Mecca, looking at a possible match with Viva Van. Oh, I'd love to, but I got my prom that night. 
And if I'm not mistaken, I think she said junior prom. Uh, so probably. She's be, I yeah. know she's 17 now, I guess. Yeah. But she was 17. wrestling last year at the uh, full tilt AEW weekend at yeah. probably 16. You know, her mom, you know, comes with her and, you know, flies in with her. And she's currently wrestling, uh, you know, for, for uh, oh, I forget the, the company, but the women's company in Japan. Stardom? So she's, I think it is. I think it is. But the fact that she at that age, you know, at 17 years old, can be going to Japan and starting to make a name for her brand in Japan at this time, it's mind-blowing. Who would have ever thought of that, you know, Let's look back 20 years. You know, I would never have thought anything like that could happen. Yeah, it, it's a crazy world, you know, professional wrestling and, and the people that are getting involved. And it's like, what's crazy is there's so many people starting at such a young age. But then there's so many people that are still doing it well in their late 40s and early 50s. Yes. Right. And that no, was not. You would think it was one of the other. Back in the day, you started at 25, and by the time you were 40, you were done. Now you're it. starting at 16, and you're wrestling till you're 50. Right. You know, and, uh, and that you know, and when it comes to the bigger companies, you know, obviously not having to work, you know, six days a week and twice on you know one of those days on a Saturday like Ric Flair wrestling all over. Now these guys right. are spending three days a week on the road and it's now a three or four day a week job instead of a, um, you know, it's six days, but the seventh day between the travel, it's almost like you have no time off anyway, because you got to get on by the time you get home, you got eight hours and you're back on the flight again for the next day. Yeah. So, you know, people are a little bit less worn down, not having to take the painkillers because they have eight matches this week, you know, right. AEW is great for the for the wrestler. You know, they, they come in for two days. They they do, you know, Wednesday Dynamite Live. They do some tapings, you know, either the day of, the day before. But a lot of those guys don't work every single night. And they'll, they'll work one or two matches for that week. You know, if they work three matches in a week, that's a lot. Yeah. And, you know, they do it all in a two-day period. Impact, same way. They're coming out here to 24th for a pay-per-view. If you're not on the pay-per-view, you're not getting a match. And then they right. do the taping is the 25th and 26th. So the most you're going to work is three days, and then they won't have another taping for two, three weeks later. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 crazy how it is now. Um, and, and just thinking about what you said, I always find it funny to look back and go, the hottest thing in wrestling in 1996 was the NWO. And the youngest guy of the trio was Nash, who was born in 1959. That puts him at turning 37 years old in 1996. So the hottest thing, the hippest thing, the coolest thing were a 37-year-old. Hall was probably right around 40, and Hogan was already like 42. Was he only 42? I would have thought he was even older. Yeah, I think he I think his I think he's 50, oh, maybe even 53. So if he was born in 53, yeah, that'd put him in about 43. So really. Yeah. 
But that's but it's crazy to think that that that's would. Yeah, the thing was Nash started very late, so yeah. So even right. though he wasn't as didn't have as many years near in the business. But but the idea of now it's crazy because you can't tell because you just said you thought Hogan was way older, but he was only forty three, and these guys hip. You know the the kids, the the teenagers, everyone were buying these NWO shirts. You know it was the marketable thing, and nowadays it's like you can't even tell that these guys are forty seven years old, and it's amazing to see that that door kind of got kicked in. But now everyone looks that much better, and everyone is that much more healthier, and it just makes the longevity of your brand. If you can sustain it, it's almost endless now. Yeah. I think, you know, the modern days of wrestling, I think a lot more of these guys have taken a little bit better care of themselves. You know, guys like when the Undertaker say, well, you know, they wouldn't last in a fight. They would do this and that and the other thing. And they're playing video games or whatever. It's like, they're not tough guys. They right. love wrestling. They love the art of wrestling. And not saying what they did before was wrong, but that was, you know, that's what drew a potential wrestler back in the day. Right. Well, nowadays it's become more, you know, aerial. And you see guys that are like Chris Bay when he goes and turns on the TV and saw a CM Punk who. Yep. Even before that, a Shawn Michaels that they used to have to blow him up to be like you know one ninety five, and you knew he was like one sixty five because you wanted that larger than life character. And back in the day, sure, a Batista could walk in because he was a monster, but Daniel Bryan wasn't walking in. How many years did it take Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, to even get looked at by the WWF back in the day? Yeah, and as much experience he had, they 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 threw him through the NXT system, right? Because nobody's going right. to care who you are. Nobody cares what you did in Ring of Honor. And they, they did this. They did the, the same thing with Samoa Joe, right? And and the only reason was because of the the only reason was because AJ Styles, who everybody expected, and again I was shocked. He comes out for the Rumble and was like. Guys from fucking Impact. Who the fuck gives a shit about AJ Styles? And he tore the house down. And that's when you saw that people got to keep their names for a numerous yep. amount of years. Then Samoa Joe came in and they got the name. Because before that, it was Daniel Bryan and the Bryan Danielson. And right. all these guys, you know, PJ Black became, you know, uh, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he, the aerial guy, whatever he was. Right. It was, it was so bad. <laughs> But, but none of those guys got to keep their name. And then for a good amount of years, then they brought in Adam Cole and they brought in Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish. And even though it was for the NXT brand, even in the past, they would bring you in and your name would immediately be changed. And right. then pretty much the last of that was Cross and Keith Lee. And right. then after that, they all went back to, you need to have that trademarked wwe name so you can't use it elsewhere at nxt 2.0 just ron ron breaker yeah like we know he's rick steiner's kid but we call him Braun breaker 
sounds like him too. When I heard him talking the other day, last week or so, I was like, man, he sounds like Rick Steiner. Holy shit. Never noticed it before. He he looks like his uncle and sounds like his dad. That's frightening. You know, so, you know, he should be on the main roster like any week now. Like, but the well, thing I, is, he got brought in so green. Oh, yeah. That yep. they're, you know, by putting him in with good people and having him work at Dolph Ziggler and things like that is is beneficial for the growth, you know, and that's what's needed. You know, same thing we like to do, you know, yeah. hey, hey, Bodie, here's here's Chris Bay for you. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. when Chris Bay came up, he got to work Brian Cage and John Morrison in a three way and he got to work PJ Black and he got to work all these guys and cross who was, you know, a guy who was leaving to go to the Fed at the time. Yeah. And, you know, Kevin wanted to do that for the homegrown guy. And that's why we've been fortunate with Sefa and, 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 and Lacey. And it's like, oh, you know, I've never really gotten the matches. And it's like, you got Lacey Ryan. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, you, you got a fucking superstar. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just it's fascinating. Uh, any final words uh, for listeners this week, Joe? No, we 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 got we got a little bit of a break. Uh, we weren't doing we're not doing any show for three weeks, but it's like I'm working just as hard every day, you know, trying to get stuff from Mecca Nine. Still having the issues. It's like finally got back the information from the Silverton, and it was Super Bowl week, so I get it. It took a week to them to respond. But he was like, hey, you know, we're probably not going to be able to, not even we're probably not. Yeah, we're not going to be able to do it in March. We're going to probably want to start it in April or May. It's like, what the fuck? I gave you the date. Like, I have the Silver Nugget on hold now. And thankfully, they were open because I couldn't really change that date. You know, I got Chris Bay and right. I got John Morrison and that's already set. And, yep. you know, I got Gregory Sharp's Nevada State title match set. So we need to do it that day. But. Super Bowl week is over. I'm going to give them time to breathe. And then I'm going to call them up and be like, hey, you know, what's the difference if we do it March 26th or April 30th? We have a show March 26th. We really want to do it here. And we think we can, you know, do good numbers for you. And people want to, you know, be back here instead right. of waiting till the anniversary show in June. You know, yeah. three dates for three dates. I don't look at it as three dates. I look at it as three dates to make sure we can secure more dates. Right. You know, yeah. I don't believe they're not going to be happy with what we're going to provide them. So it's like, let's get us in now, man. And it's like, they, they have things that you can't get at the silver nugget. Like, especially for the Mecca, when you're going to bring in people, you need rooms. Well, guess what? Yeah. So we don't have rooms. So, Hey, we can work a deal with the Silverton. Give us the, you know, the, at worst, give us a couple rooms, give us a casino rate, whatever it is. Because again, shows on Sunday. Worst comes to worst, through my wife's job, I can get rooms for 50 bucks. Right. And we're talking, you know, station casino shit. So we're not talking like, oh, what a shithole, you know, Matt, Matt's motel. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it, it, it's a Sunset Station. It's a, it's a Boulder Station, which is probably closer to Silver Nugget. And they've redone Boulder where it's super nice. No, no, sorry, not Boulder. Palace, my bad. Palace, yes. Yeah, yeah, Boulder's still a shit show, but you know. Yeah, but and Boulder's still closer to the Silver Nugget too. So right, so, right, and again, so, yeah. for a shithole, it's still way better than ninety-five percent of the places. And sorry, even I, you know, how much I love John Morrison, but I'm not booking him at Caesars in a suite. You know what I'm saying? 
What what if if you book him at Caesars though? What if Taya works the show at uh, you know a twenty five dollar rate then? Oh, then maybe. Okay, just yeah. throwing it out uh, there. I'm always I'm always willing to barter and make better deals. <laughs> John used to give me a good deal in the past. That's why we used Taya. He gave yeah. us his rate and their rate. Yeah, and their rate was pretty similar to his rate. So it was like, how do you not take advantage of it? The only thing it cost me was an envelope because I had to hand her one. Right. So I had to hand out two envelopes. So it added up after a while. Yeah. You know, probably, what, four or five bucks and a, and a couple paper cuts. Exactly. Not, not well, I get bad. the one with the strips now. You don't even have to do anything. Oh, there. Yeah. You pull it. <laughs> costs like an extra 89 cents, but it's really worth it. Oh, man. Well, uh, keep your eyes peeled uh, coming up here for uh, March 4th. More information on that. And then, of course, the information on the Mecca and where exactly it will be will be available fairly soon here. Uh, and it's, it's, it's three weeks, but it's only three weeks until March 4th. And once we're in March, man, uh, it's... Yeah, we're uh, less than three weeks. It's only 18 days away by the time this airs 17. Yeah, yeah so... So think about, you know, uh, also securing your Mecca tickets when they go on sale. And, um, you know, that's it's going to be something that it's probably going to draw a pretty big crowd. So uh, if you want to get those front row seats, get them uh, and get those second row seats, too, um, because, you know, it's it's going to be a big show. Um, that is it for this week. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. And until next week, everybody. Take care and have a great week.